0: Good morning. I'll be reading from Matthew chapter 26, verses 36 through 46. You can find that on page 832 in the Bible in front of you. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter, and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So you could not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. See, my betrayer is at hand. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, you, Sherry, for reading that for us. Let me encourage you to grab a copy of scriptures and go to that text that uh, was just read for us. We're going to be looking at that this morning Matthew uh, chapter 26. In 2005, Nook and I were able to, we had the privilege of going to uh, Israel for a trip. And uh, I can't remember how long it was, but uh, I remember being a great trip. There were a lot of highlights. Uh, One of the things that I I, can remember from that trip was uh, going out in the Sea of Galilee. Uh, We were on a boat and we got out there and they did a little demonstration of what fishing would have been like during that time. Um, you know, casting the nets and all that stuff. One of the things that uh, stood out to me, though, was um, how you could see across the sea. I mean, when I think of a sea, I think of you know, kind of like this massive body of water, uh, like maybe like you know, Lake Michigan or an ocean or something like that, where you just can't see the other side. But in the Sea of Galilee, you can actually, at some point you can actually see right across. And so. That made sense to me as I'm reading the scriptures about Jesus praying. He's seeing the disciples rowing against the wind and all that stuff. And so, being out on the Sea of Galilee was really helpful. You know, another uh, uh, highlight was uh, being at the Temple Mount. Couldn't go onto the Temple Mount. Uh, it just was closed at that time for us, and so we couldn't go up there. But being, being there in the city of Jerusalem and, and standing on the other side and in the Kindred Valley in front of you and seeing over there and seeing over on the left here, uh, you know, the, 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 um, the pinnacle where uh, Satan would have taken Jesus and said, throw yourself off here and, uh, you know, uh, and all this stuff. I mean, all these things, is just, just amazing to be there. But I think probably the most moving part for me, and it was a whirlwind trip. There was a lot that was packed into that trip. But I think one of the most moving parts for me was when we went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And we were there in the garden, and um, they have these olive trees there that are just massive and old. And, you know, our tour guide said that some of these trees that are there in the garden date back to the time of Christ. And so it was, just, it was very moving to be in this garden where they think that, you know, this makes sense for the location. Where, and it probably would have been bigger during that time, been more trees and stuff like that. But that some of these trees were there when Jesus was alive and the events of the passage that we just read before us here. Um, that was really, really moving to me because it was not just a garden that Jesus took a stroll through, it really was a garden of grief. It was a time when Jesus, where he was, as we just read from Matthew 26 here, where he was intensely sorrowful. Now today, our church finds itself in a garden of grief once again in some ways. You know, I, this is like the third message I planned for today, okay? There's one message and another message and then now this one. It's just has changed because of the events of what have happened this week. As I began to think about, you know, when you have someone that passes away suddenly like this, like that we had this week, and the grief that the Stellmachers are dealing with. And no doubt that that reopens some wounds and some grief for some other people. I thought, we need to look at a text like this. We need, to, we need to see, okay, how do we move forward as a church through grief like this? Over the last 18 months or so, our church, we've lost three men. We had a close uh, call with another one, and today we grieve with Beth, Abby, and Tyler. So, pastorally, I called an audible. You know, sometimes those quarterbacks get up to the line of scrimmage and they have a plan in mind, and then they see what's before them and they think, oh boy, that's not going to work. And they call an audible, and that's what we're doing today. So, we're looking at this text here. So, as we join Jesus in the garden of grief, what I want to do is I want to point out what there's some things that we can learn about grief, but then also about prayer. As we go through this today, okay. So let me pause though and ask God's blessing and enablement, and then we'll 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 jump right in. Father, you know we do want to uh, lean on you. Uh, There's a song that says, "I need you every hour," and um, it is true. Every hour we need you, and right now we need you. We need your spirit to guide us. We need your spirit to challenge us and convict us and to heal us. and some of us need all those things. Some of us need just a few of those things. But Lord, only you know where we're at. Only you know how this text of Scripture should be used by your Spirit. And so that's what we're leading that way. Now, I'm, as I have the, the wonderful privilege of teaching here, Lord, I pray that I would be able to communicate in a way that is accurate to the text, that is helpful to those who listen, and that is not distracting in any way. And so, God, we're grateful that we can gather together here. Uh, we're just asking for your people In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So let's look at grief, first of all. There's a few things that, uh, if you have the, the outline or whatever, you'll see that there's 3 subpoints here that we're going to look at. Some, some observations about grief that we can take from Jesus' time in the garden here that we read about. First of all, and this is going to seem really basic. You're going to be like, well, yeah, duh. But it's going to be helpful as we walk through this. But at least that's my prayer. First of all, grief is incredibly painful. Did you notice how Jesus talks here when he, and he says this, he goes into the garden, we see this there, and he says, sit here, but I go over there to pray. And then he says in verse 37, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Uh, The word sorrowful there has this idea of being extremely sad. In fact, it actually means almost like crushed by grief, okay? That's what the word means. And troubled has the idea of anxious. And so there's some anxiety in Jesus' soul. And, and it's, it's, it's it's very disorienting in some ways for us to think of Jesus that is going through this. Because you know one of the things about understanding what the scriptures teach about Jesus is that he is God. And, and he's he, he is a second person of the Trinity. And so he is holy and he is perfect and he is right and he is just. And so we, we have all that theology about Jesus and it is good and it is right. But it is hard for us sometimes to think about Jesus as, as anxious, a, as being crushed by grief here. And yet, the Scriptures clearly say this. It's very clear here that Jesus says, by his own words, it wasn't even someone who said it about him. He said this about himself. He said, I'm sorrowful, and I'm crushed here. And, and even this, this, he says... In verse, uh, where am I at here? In verse, he says, uh, uh, where am I at? Even unto death, he says. He says that uh, um, I'm very sorrowful. Um, oh, I'm losing my place here. Where's it? What verse? 38. 38. Thank you. Thank you. Someone else needs to preach this. Okay. All right. And so it says, yes, even unto death. There says, he says, I'm very sorrowful, even unto death. Did you realize that what he means by that, in that moment, how he was feeling in his humanity, it was almost as if Jesus felt that if it would be possible, his grief would kill him before he even got to the cross. He was crushed by this. You say, well, what what was going on in his soul? Well, he knew what was going to happen. He knew that he was going to bear the weight of sin. He knew that his father was going to have to turn his back on him. He knew all these things. He knew relationships were going to be broken for a moment. He knew that, and it was absolutely crushing to him. Grief is intensely painful. Sometimes God calls us to walk Through unbearable pain. That's the reality of it. How do we move forward through that? Is God just being mean? Is he being uh, uh, unjust? Why did Jesus have to do this? And, And the fact that Jesus did this, how is that helpful? I find it helpful because he knows exactly how I feel at times. I find it helpful that there's not a single emotion that I can go through that Jesus cannot say, Oh, I don't know what that's like. There's not a circumstance that can come up in my life that will cause anxiety or stress in my life that God, Jesus, can't say, you know what, I have no way to connect with that. He experiences this. And he went through this. And he endured this. Not only is it incredibly painful, secondly, he's extraordinarily lonely. It's extremely lonely. Okay, so Jesus here, he's with the, d- the disciples. You see, by the sequence of events, he's just had the Lord's Supper, which has become... Was the last supper, which becomes the first Lord's supper. And so he has this, and then there's a conversation he has with Peter, which I'll talk about in a second here. And then he goes into the garden. Okay, so all the disciples are with him. And so he tells them, now there's only 11, because remember, Judas is gone. And so there's 11 disciples with him. So he tells, you know, eight of them, stay here. I'm going to go and pray. And then he looks at three of them. Who are they? Who are the three? Who are they, class? All right. There we go, Peter, James, and John. He says, okay, come with me, and I'm going to go pray, and I want you to pray with me, okay? Now, who were these three? Peter, James, and John. They were the same ones that just a few chapters earlier they were there for the transfiguration. Remember this in John chapter seventeen. Or excuse me, Matthew seventeen. Do you remember in seventeen, chapter seventeen, when he's standing there on the mountain, and then he brings up these same three with them, and he transfigures before him. And, and this is what how Matthew recorded it. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And they saw this and remember they were moved by this. They were like, let's build tabernacles, let's do this, and everything. They were just absolutely transformed by this because they saw who Jesus was. They saw, they just got a glimpse of the glory of God in Christ there. Okay, these are the same three. And then when Jesus says, I want you to come and pray with me, my soul is sorrowful. What do they do? They fall asleep. They just fall asleep. And Jesus goes back and he wakes them up. And then he goes back to prayer and they fall asleep again. He does three times. And remember, Peter, not only did Peter see the transfiguration, but that text right before us here uh, in the passage that we read today, what did Peter do? Jesus talks about how he's going to betray him. And what does Peter say? No. I would die for you. But you can't stay awake. (laughs) You see, Grief has a way of being lonely. This trial that Jesus found himself in by God's design, by his own design, by something that he, he agreed with, and it wasn't something that was forced upon him. It was something that he agreed before the foundation of the earth and the, the, the plan of God and the Godhead that this was going to happen, that he was going to be intensely lonely in his grief here. Some of you can relate. You walk through a time of trial, you walk through a time of grief, and people try to help. And people try to say, but but people just don't know what to say. And sometimes they sometimes they say the wrong thing. They try to be helpful, but it's not. I, I, I fear that I've done that in trying to help someone, maybe I haven't been as helpful as I would have hoped to been. And part of that is inevitable. I remember telling someone recently. I'm praying for you. I know right now that sounds empty, but you just got to believe me that it's not. I, what was I trying to communicate there? I was trying to communicate that there's not a whole lot that we can say in this moment, but we're just going to run to the Lord in prayer. You feel very lonely. So how do we move forward? How do we move forward through grief? How do we move forward through this? Well, we understand, first of all, that it's intensely painful. It's extremely lonely, right? Right? And then lastly, it's all consuming. You're like, boy, this gets better and better, Jeremy. This is so encouraging. Thank you. No, it's all-consuming. What do I mean by that? What I mean about what drove Jesus to that garden? It was this grief. It was this weight that he had on him. And there were so many times when Jesus' earthly ministry where he would withdraw to pray because he was under intense stress or he was in intense uh, pressure. And so he would go to the Lord in prayer. And this time he asked some people to come with him, some people to come and help him and, and, and pray along with him. And they let him down. And so he's feeling lonely here. And then it's all-consuming. It's all-consuming because that's what drove him there. And then even when the prayer meeting Was breaking down when people were falling asleep. Listen, tell you if I call a prayer meeting here and every time we open up and I open my eyes and everyone's sleepy, I'm just sending you all home, okay? We're not going to continue with the prayer meeting. But here, Jesus continues on praying. Why? Because the grief was all consuming to him and this was something that was just, it was the only thing he could think about. He just wanted to keep coming back to the Lord in prayer about this. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about here. You walk through a trial, you walk through a time of grief, and it is literally the only thing you can think about for a while. I mean, everything reminds you of whatever it is. I mean, everything, because it's all consuming. Now, why am I telling you all this? Am I trying to reopen wounds? No. What I'm trying to do is, I'm trying to tell you that Jesus understands. Man, I was doing so good. 14 minutes in, not a tear. Um, so, but my point is, is I'm trying to tell you that Jesus gets it. Jesus, he, he's experienced all of these things. And, 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 and grief is one of those things where it just feels like it will absolutely end us. But Jesus endured that. And it's in him that we can too. It's in him we can do well. So when no one else understands the depth of pain that you feel, just know that Jesus does. And when those closest to you fail you, and they will because we're human, just understand that Jesus is always with you and he knows what it feels like. So I'm well aware as a pastor that we have people that are hurting it's not just the deaths. I mean, there's so many other things, and I could list so many reasons why, of what people are carrying here. But what I just want to say is that Jesus gets it. He understands, and yet he was able to move forward through it. So the question is, how? How is he able to move forward through it? And you say, well, he's God, okay? Yes, but in his humanity, he's feeling all this. This is what the text is very clear about. How did he move forward? And this is the second half of the message is through prayer. Okay? And this is what we can learn, is that we, um, we have this, this, this example of Jesus to follow here. And that is prayer. So three observations about prayer quickly. First of all, it's absolutely crucial. Absolutely crucial. It, Jesus told his disciples to pray and give them an example to follow. We see the example of this in the Lord's Prayer, a very common uh, passage of Scripture that um, was was given to us just a few chapters earlier in the book. Uh, 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 during the what's known as the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus says, "And when you pray, pray this way." And so he gives them an example of the Lord's Prayer, and he tells them he, there's an expectation that the disciples, the people who follow him, will be people who pray, uh, people who pray, and he gives them an example of how to pray. Now, what I love about this is that in this text here, we have echoes of the Lord's Prayer in Jesus' own prayer. I don't know if you picked up on them, but in, you know, first of all, in, in verse 39, he says this. He says, uh, uh, who is he talking to? He says, my Father, if it be possible. And remember, in the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven. Okay. We see a second second allusion to the Lord's Prayer in verse 41 when he says, Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. Remember, the Lord's Prayer talks about, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Right? And, And then we see a third allusion to the Lord's Prayer in this text here in verse 42 when it says that, Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. And, of course, that reminds us of the Lord's Prayer. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, do you see that not only did Jesus, he command us to pray, but he modeled the prayer that he gave us to pray. It's absolutely crucial to us. We have to be people who are praying for one another, we have to be people who are praying in those moments. Now, the reason why I'm preaching this, and you say, "Well, of course, you're going to say this," but here's the reason why: is because there's too many times in the time of our grief, in the time of of our sorrow, we we get angry with God, and we don't want to talk to God. We don't want to pray sometimes. Can I just tell you that is the absolutely worst decision you can make in that moment? Go to the Lord in prayer. Go to the Lord. Go to the Lord and and, and have this conversation with God and and use Jesus' example here as a way to push us forward. So understand Jesus didn't think prayer was something for someone else to do. He saw it as absolutely crucial for him to do. So if the King of kings and the Lord of lords found prayer to be absolutely crucial to his life on earth, why don't we see the same thing? I mean, the application's obvious here, right? If Jesus prayed... Then we should pray as well. And so, are you praying for each other? Are you praying your your soul to the Lord? Don't just go through, you know, uh, little scripts in prayer and everything. I'm not saying that those are always wrong. It's not wrong to write out prayers. That's not what that actually helpful sometimes to write out what you're doing. That's not what I'm talking about. But sometimes people have these little scripts or whatever that say the same thing over and over again before a meal, before bed, or something like that. Pour your heart out to the Lord. You know, dads, moms, model that to your children. Pour what you're, what, what you're thinking And if you don't know what to say, tell God that in the front of your children. You're teaching them how to pray. You're teaching them to say, okay, God, I don't know what to say here. I don't know what needs to be done here. But, God, your will be done here. That's teaching how to pray because that's how Jesus prayed. So we need to be people who are praying together. So, first of all, prayer is absolutely crucial. We made an emphasis of that at the beginning of the year that we wanted to be a praying church. And here, right now, as we're reminded of grief, because of what the Lord has put our church into right now, with, with losing people over the last couple of years, and, and even this week, we're going to be reminded that we need to be praying, okay? It's absolutely crucial. Secondly, it's not a magic formula. And what do I mean by that? What do I mean by it's not a magic formula? It means that it's not like you, you pray, you get your three wishes, and then you get whatever you want there. In fact, here, Jesus here, don't you realize what this text is teaching here is that Jesus knows what it's like to have a prayer go unanswered. Jesus knows what it's like at least to go against what he wanted in a moment. He says this, he says, if it be possible, verse 39, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not I will, but as you will. Now, what does he talk about this cup? Well, there's there's a lot of different things mixed up in this metaphor here. First of all, it's the idea of suffering and pain that he was going to go through on the cross that has to be part of it. But more than that, the metaphor of the cup uh, most commonly throughout the scriptures actually refers to God's wrath. And so what he was talking about there, he knew that he was going to bear the penalty of sin. He knew that God's wrath was going to be poured upon him here. And he said, if there be any other way, if there be any other way, can, it, can we do that? He was actually asking for a change of circumstance in the plan, if possible. But then he said, but your will be done. I find that incredibly reassuring. It's not wrong to pray for your circumstances to change. I think sometimes as Christians we have this idea that if something happens, we can't talk to God. We can't say, God, I'd really rather this not happen. We say, well, that's not in faith. No, that's not a lack of faith. That's pouring your heart out to the Lord like Jesus did. It's not a magic formula, though, just to pray and you're going to get whatever you want. Sometimes the answer is going to be no, and it's going to be devastating to you. And I wish I could change that. You know, one of the things I, I often think about as a pastor that is, is frustrating to me is that in a lot of ways, I'm absolutely powerless. In fact, in every way, I'm absolutely powerless. I, 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 wish, I wish I could snap my fingers and take away someone's grief. I wish I could pray a certain prayer and then people's struggles would be gone. I, I wish I could do that. But I can't. That's not how God's designed it. I don't have that ability. In fact, in fact, many times, in fact, the reason why I don't have that ability is because I don't have the wisdom that it would require. Only God has that. Only God has the wisdom to say, no, you need to walk through the trial right now. Or no, you need to be saved from the trial right now. One of the hardest things sometimes I remember several years ago as a pastor, I remember going from one house where um, I was with a grieving family who just lost someone and it was a terrible tragedy and weeping with that person to literally getting in my car and driving across town to another family who was celebrating the birth of a child that they had prayed for for so long and on the way over I'm drying my tears and I and I'm trying to 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 now be happy not to be joyful with this family here i was i was weeping with those who weep but i had to go and, and 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 rejoice with those who rejoiced and i don't have the wisdom to know when someone should go through a trial or when someone should have blessing that's not for me to decide and that's not for you to decide but what we do is we pray and we pray for these people and we rejoice with those who rejoice and we weep with those who weep but sometimes people are we're called to walk through an incredibly difficult time here you see, the prayer, so what, what, what I find encouraging about this is sometimes, and this is some really bad theology out there that will talk about, well, the reason why you're not getting your prayer answered is because you're not holy enough. You're not living a holy enough life. Now, I want to be sh- clear that, yes, sin can affect our prayers. Psalm 66:18 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. And we see later on in the New Testament, it says, Husbands, love your wives. And it talks about so that your prayers are not hindered. Okay, so I am uh, Upfront, and I agree with the fact that sin can have a, uh, uh, an effect on our prayer life. I, the Bible teaches that. But yet, the Bible does not teach that every time we go through a difficult situation or every time we get an unanswered prayer, it is because of sin in our life. Okay, there's a difference there. And I like what one person said. They said this, the prayer of Jesus in the garden shows that we can be close to God, we can live a holy life, we can pray with faith, we can pray earnestly, expectedly, and yet not get what we ask for. And when that happens, sometimes what we do is then we tend to want to get angry with God or we even say, well, this prayer thing doesn't work or why would you deny this? If this is where Jesus' example has to capture us. So we say, well, maybe... There's a greater purpose. And that sounds so empty in the moment. I get it. But it is true. It is absolutely true. So it's not a magic formula. What we can take away from this is I've already mentioned that it is not wrong to pray for circumstances to change. I can also take away from this is that your unanswered prayer, as painful as it is, may be what is necessary for the blessing of other people. Think about this. I, I remember one time I was like praying uh, for weather, uh, I, and I can't remember the event. I can't remember all the circumstances, but it's just was like one of those moments where God just kind of taught me a lesson. I remember praying, Lord, Lord, how about that to rain? I don't want it to rain, everything. And I think it was probably because I was going to go to like a, a sporting event or something like that. I, I can't remember. But please, you know, I don't want it to rain. And, uh, And and then I remember thinking, the Lord just uh, kind of put this in my mind. He said, Well, what about those who are praying for rain? What do you do about that? Yeah, but mine needs better. <laughs> you know? No. But think about it. There are someone, so if you're praying that it doesn't rain so that you can go on your, 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 your triathlon or whatever you want to do, because it's no fun to run in the rain. I mean, let's be honest, it's never fun to run, but hey, it's no fun to really run in the rain. And so you, you, you do that and, and you say, I don't want it to rain and everything, so please have a But then you think of maybe there's some farmers or some other people that are praying. They're saying, God, if we don't get rain soon, we are going to lose everything this year. We need rain, God. We need food. Our entire year supply depends on rain, God. Please give rain. All of a sudden, your running doesn't seem as important, right? But you say, well, that's an easy example, Jeremy. I mean, you're stacking the deck there. I mean, what if you had an equally compelling reason for it not to rain? What do you do with that? I say, that's why God's God and I'm not. That's why we pray and we say, your will be done. Here's my desire, but your will be done. Sometimes, God saying no to my prayer is the best thing that could ever happen to me or someone else around me. I just don't have the wisdom to see it in that moment. If Jesus' prayer would have been answered, I would not have been able to be saved, and nor would you. If Jesus, and again, this was in his humanity when he was saying, "Lord, if there's be another way, can we, can, can, can we not do this?" But he knew, he knew that there was no other way. If, if he would have stopped the plan, if he would, and I don't think he was able to do that, but if you were able to do that, if he was going to stop the plan there, then all of a sudden, his comfort, his security means my eternal death and yours as well. So sometimes God pushes us to painful circumstances for the blessing and benefit that we won't see for a long time or maybe even ever. But this is why we have to trust in the one who judges justly. So prayer is absolutely crucial. We have to realize it's not a magic formula. And finally, it's a path to peace. I'm not going to promise you that if you pray, you're going to feel better right away. I'm not a pastor that's going to promise you things that is I, that just not true. That's not helpful. It's not loving. It's not right. But what I will tell you this is the Bible does teach that the path to peace involves prayer. After this prayer of Jesus here in this garden, this, this grief, this prayer of grief in the garden, after this, we don't find any more examples. We find no more examples of Jesus asking for circumstances to change. He made his request to God. He knew the answer, but he said, nevertheless, not my will but yours be done. And he moved on. And then throughout all the trials, throughout everything else that happened, through the beatings and everything else, we never see another example where Jesus says, hey, can my circumstances change? We see him cry out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was a a prayer of anguish. But he's not praying for circumstances to change like he was in the garden here, if it's possible. Because he was at peace. Because more than his personal comfort, more than anything else, what was moving to Jesus was the fact that he wanted the Father's will to be done. Peter talks about this as how he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. And that's what you and I have to do. And it's hard. I'm not going to pretend it's easy. But there are moments where we're just going to have to say we're called to go through a very difficult season. And I don't know what that is. You've gone through some of it in your past. I have as well. I don't know what the future is, but we have people in our church that are walking through it now. And the path to peace is prayer. And so if you're walking through that, spend a lot of time in prayer. For those of us who you are not walking through that, you need to be supporting. We need to be supporting those who are walking through that in our prayers. And then obviously in any tangible helps that I mean tangible by things that we can see and in, in ways that we can help support them. But we must be praying for them. The reason why Jesus doesn't ask for circumstances to change is because, above all else, He wanted His Father's will to be done. I think about this this passage that Paul wrote about in Philippians chapter four. He says, "Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplications, let your requests be made known to God." He says, "Okay, you're, you're feeling anxious. Things are coming up here. Here's what you do: you go to prayer. You pour it out before the Lord." Okay, this is what you do. And look what happens. It says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. So the path to peace here is that we've got to be on our knees. We've got to be praying for one another. And I don't know what you're walking through. I know what some of you are walking through, but I don't know what everyone's walking through here today. Please, go to the Lord in prayer. Pour your heart out to the Lord. It's the path to peace. Let me make some application as we close. First application is this. is like we must follow Jesus' example in praying and how to respond when a prayer goes unanswered. There are some people that would say, you know, I tried praying, it didn't work. Says who? How do you know it didn't work? You may not have gotten what you wanted, but that doesn't mean it didn't work. What does it mean for prayer to work anyway? If we reduce that to getting what I want, that's pretty arrogant. Would you not agree? So we can't really say, well, I tried, I tried to pray and it didn't work. Well, you didn't get what you wanted. But can't you see that Jesus understands that and he illustrated that to show that sometimes that just means what is best. It doesn't make it any easier in the moment. But over time, God and His grace, maybe not in this lifetime, but definitely in the life to come, He'll reveal that to us. So we must follow Jesus' example in praying and how to respond when a prayer request goes unanswered. Secondly, prayer is how we stop grief from turning into bitterness. Prayer is how we stop grief from turning into bitterness. He says there are some people that they go through a really grieving time and then what happens then is it actually turns into a bitterness in their soul because of what they've endured. How do we, how do we safeguard against that? Prayer. You, you talk to the Lord. You, you, you pour your heart out to the Lord. And then in the end, and in the end you say, okay God, God your will be done here's my desire but your will be done and help me to accept your will help me to love your will help me to embrace it help me to see the wisdom of it God right now I don't see it right now all I see is my pain all I see right now is how this is terrible for me but God please reorient my thinking please reorient my heart to desire to see your will accomplished and please I'm entrusting myself to the one who judges justly that's how we pray okay we pour our heart out to the Lord. There's been, there's been plenty of times in my life where there's times where I've, I've just so wanted something to happen and or, or in, in, in still in. It just hasn't. What do you do? You just you keep praying to the Lord and entrust yourself to the one who judges justly. But So it's not only how we stop grief from turning into bitterness, but it's also it becomes a platform for worship. It's through prayer that grief becomes a platform for worship that we can actually say, okay, but your will be done. When we pray, what are we saying? We're saying that I, I'm, I'm weak and you're strong. We're praying that I, I, have, I don't have the ability in this situation, but you do. What we're doing is we're saying it's actually a humbling effect for us to go to the Lord in prayer. It should be. And we say, okay, God, your will be done. This is what Jesus said for us. This is, he, says, he says, watch and pray. The internet is in temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And he says, if this cup cannot pass, your, he says, if this cup cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. This is what Jesus his example for us today is that, is that we follow his example and we have a, a platform of worship rather than bitterness. I was actually thinking, uh, I was reminded, um, uh, when I was a, just, just before I came up to preach, had this memory came to my mind. hadn't thought of it in a long, long time. I was a junior in high school and um, one of my friends, uh, his mom unexpectedly suddenly died. And um, boy, when you're, you know, at that time, you know, however old I was, 15 years old, 16, whatever I was, you know, that that's jarring. And um, I remember a group of us from the school, We we went over to the funeral and um, we skipped school to go to the funeral and um and we were there for my friend i 'll never forget and part of this was culturally my friend was african american and so you you know a bunch of you know white friends walk into this this uh african American church and this black church and um i remember I remember my friend his dad got up and he talked about his mom, and his mom said he says. She had always told me, at my funeral, we're going to have church. We're going to have church. And he goes, that's what we're going to do. And so for the next, like, like hour, it was like just singing and praising God. It was moving. And if you've ever been to an African-American church, it's different than ours, let me tell you. Okay? And there's a beauty to it, an expressiveness and they were having church to use that language. And I remember just being changed by that, saying, that's what's going to be at my funeral. We're going to praise God. We're going to use it to praise Jesus Christ. And so I don't know who's going to play my funeral whenever it happens. I'm not playing anytime soon, but who knows? We're having church, okay? We're praising Jesus. We're singing His mercy is more. We're singing songs like that, okay? Because grief can actually become a platform of worship only through prayer when we're praying like Jesus did in the garden. There's a lot of aching hearts. And I pray that this has been helpful. There's so many more things that we could talk about here. There's so many more things we could say. We could get into more nuanced discussions of prayer and sovereignty and all that stuff. The reality of it is this, is that Jesus prayed. And he said, nevertheless, not my will be done. Not my will, but yours be done. And it was a blessing. And I benefited from it, and so do you. So as we move forward in grief, maybe you're feeling that today. If you're not today then in the future you will. I pray that you go back to this text here. This is how we move forward. Praying like Jesus in the garden of grief. Father, I just want to pray now before we move to the table here. I just want to say thank you that we can have this time to reflect and respond to this text of Scripture. God, we need, we need you to help us. We need you to, in those moments when our hearts are bursting because there's a desire in our hearts and it seems godly, it seems right, it seems good, and yet the answer is no or it goes unanswered, Lord, I pray, God, I pray that we would lean on you and that we would we'd follow Christ's example here. God, we need you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.